You're listening to the fourth episode of the Wicked Podcast. I'm Mike Moore. Be forewarned, a lot of this is about fundamentalist Christianity going more than a bit wrong, but it is not intended as an attack on faith. It's mostly about depression. If trigger warnings lowered rather than raised levels of emotional upset, I'd include one, but they don't, so I won't. Each episode is me explaining what was going on in my adolescent life that occasioned the writing of a song from my unreleased and unmourned concept album, The Story of Peter Gray. I'll continue for the two of you who are still listening. Episode 4, Bitterness. The Buddha is falsely but commonly credited with saying holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Nelson Mandela, Carrie Fisher, and a host of others are credited with saying something very similar, and a score of people, including Anne Lamott, quote various of them supposedly saying this. The saying reminds me of an image I either heard of at church or came up with in the middle of my adolescent angst period, which period may or may not have ended yet. I envisioned a person being paranoid and fearful and furious and resentful, so arming himself with a big sharp sword, but one that has no handle. It can only be picked up by its blade. The tighter he clings to it, the more deeply he wounds his own hand. I may have heard some version of the first quotation or this second image at one of the interminable Bible conferences I attended. Amid the advice about chocolate and Pepsi as depression cures and assurances that God would stop me from killing myself if I was a real, true Christian. In any case, I felt it, I pictured it, so I wrote a poem about it. I was there, trapped with my own depression, and I put what it was like into the poem. It was called The Blade of Bitterness, and shortly thereafter I ended up writing a song with it as the lyrics, trying to express what a miserable place I'd found and kept myself in back then. I used E minor again, with A minor in there for good measure. I strove for a lonely spaghetti western feel to it, and ended up heavily rewording the lyrics when I came to record it, by which time I was hoping to get a bit of Carlos Santana into the sound, even though it meant attempting to play conga drums borrowed from the high school music room. First, I should explain about the concept of bitterness as understood by Plymouth Brethren people. Elderly Brethren royalty Ruth Smith nay Hayhoe once reminded me, when I spoke of being unhappy, about the Bible verse about a root of bitterness springing up and troubling one. We never really dealt with the first half of that sentence, which spoke of us keeping an eye out to make sure no one among us fell short of the grace of God, lest the aforementioned root of bitterness might spring up, troubling him. Ruth suggested that my depression might really be resentment and holding a grudge, in other words, my own fault and something I needed to repent of. She told me about a Jewish woman whose entire family had been killed by Nazis, and when facing said Nazis during war crime trials afterward, the woman proudly claimed to hold no resentment or grudge against those or any other Nazis at all. That's how Christians were supposed to be, Ruth said. Harmless as doves, she said. Nothing much was taught in Bible study about the first half of that latter verse either, which says that we were to be subtle or clever as serpents and harmless as doves. Just the doves part got mentioned. There were and are few character flaws viewed as more damning among the Lord's people than being guilty of bitterness. You can screw people right over, sure enough, and if they're upset about this afterward, they're guilty of bitterness and therefore wrong. In fact, you can have a point, be read about anything at all, and you can be immediately dismissed if someone can claim that you are bitter. I'm getting pretty 
resentful of people dismissing me using that word now that I've dealt with it for several decades. And I have encouraged our dear brother to wait on the Lord and to search his heart and see that there is absolutely no bitterness, no unforgiving spirit. No matter what he may feel in his heart has been the guilt of his partner, he has no right to hold anything but love in his heart toward her. And this I have tried to put before him again and again, because it is most evident that there is bitterness there, and uh, this ought to be judged and owned before the Lord. Who knows but what the Lord might bring about that which is so unexpected, if only all bitterness and all resentment were thoroughly judged. Job could say, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Oh, there was peace, there was fragrance, there was beauty, connection with that. Oh, brethren, how beautiful all these things are. My online comments were introduced by her sister to someone I later came to know quite well, saying, Have you seen this guy's things online? He and his family were completely unfairly and wrongly treated by their assembly. He's very bitter about it, though. By bitter, I came to realize, she meant not pleased, apt to express displeasure. I recently visited some local brethren folks who I hadn't kept touch with since the 90s, and a main part of the visit was for them to check and see how serious my bitterness problem went. By the time I'd left, after a nice chat, they told me that although my books and blogs online, which they would never, of course, read, have opened a gaping wound in the body of Christ and have hurt the Lord's people, about which they are certainly not at all bitter, they had decided that I wasn't bitter after all. Talking to me, I didn't sound bitter. Funny how writing books and talking about past trauma can make you move past it. Funnier still how many people frantically and angrily panic and advise you to move past it instead of writing books and talking about it in order to do so. Better out than in, I say. But I'm a bit ahead of myself. I wrote this poem first, and it painted a picture of that frightened, miserable person clinging to a handleless sword blade and getting more and more hurt by it the tighter he held onto it. The idea of needing to let go all that resentment for what had been done to me in my church group was in that song, though it would be a decade or so before my church would finish doing bad stuff to me and move on to simply pretending I'd died and asking me to return to obscurity whenever I came back on their radar. I can forgive and forget all I want, but I continue to be shunned globally and am fairly unwelcome at any of the brethren social events I used to attend, so I'm not sure it's me holding the grudge and not forgiving. Doesn't feel like it. Years ago, I asked for permission to attend a Bible conference and was informed that I was not welcome. I then suggested that perhaps I would come anyway, and was told that they couldn't stop me, but that I certainly wasn't welcome to eat with people. I went, and some people spoke to me, and some people didn't. Some people invited me to eat the meal, but I didn't because I had been told that I wasn't welcome to do so. I would happily sit down and have a conversation about who is or is not bitter and who is or is not welcome and what the deal is, but the unofficial elders of the non-church will never agree to meet with me. Now, in my teens, I developed a fascination for bladed weapons. I loved any book or movie with swords in them, and even recently I took a few years of historical sword fighting lessons. It got me off the futon before COVID put an end to that. 
Back in my teens, I had many knives. I also had a razor blade in my room with dim notions that if I ever got to the point of killing myself, that would be my weapon of choice. In the 80s, most of us had never heard of cutting or self-harm, nor did we have the internet to explore communities of people celebrating or suffering from it, so of course I never did it, not knowing it was a thing interesting teens were meant to do. The idea that I would make secret shallow cuts in my skin to let my emotional pain out with the blood never occurred to me. I had that blade for a more final reason, for something deeper. And poetry and music let the pain and poison out in the only way that actually worked for me. But the blade in the poem wasn't exactly that razor blade. The metaphorical blade was sharp and cut one's hand and all, but it was being held onto out of fear and feeling the need to defend oneself against the attacks of others. In our church world and in my high school, the attacks I felt most were not being punched in the back of the neck in stairwells in geography class by big guys who sat on me and farted and called me gay, though I was pretty miserable about all of that. The attacks I felt most were part of the experience of being eggshell fragile and lonely and mean and navigating those school and gospel halls knowing that passive-aggressive, bitchy, sanctimonious comments were a natural, perennial part of those places. I felt like my eggshell was filled with cracks out of which the black, toxic rot was always leaking. I feared that the next callous put-down, the next demand for me to explain why I wasn't like everybody else, would shatter me entirely. I didn't know why I wasn't like everybody else. I was all edges and defensiveness and snark. What I was trying to say in this song was how stupid it was to be defensive. Just as stupid as worrying, in fact. Going around all stressed out and on guard all day took a toll. Whether or not anything nasty ever actually went down, one couldn't live like that. So the song lyrics painted a picture of getting wounded by defensiveness, finding one is mysteriously bleeding from eyes and hands, all because you are trying to be nasty in case someone tries to hurt you. In the rewording of the lyrics, I used a stanza to explore the idea from the Bible verse that bitterness was also like a root that sprang up and troubled you. I envisioned it taking root in the floor of my dark, cold, empty heart and springing up yielding a tuberous growth that could be brewed into a really nasty, black, gooey poison of the kind I felt was welling up in me and choking me. The idea was that you became poisonous to try to keep from being eaten alive by the sharks circling in those social circles at church and school, resulting in your being poisoned, sick, and solitary. The lyric ended with the image of lying in my bed, sickening toward death due to my own toxic inner landscape, adopted as a defense but proving my own undoing. The root, the poison, the sword blade with no handle, the razor blade I held against my wrist to see if I could summon the energy to kill myself, all formed part of the same portrait of self-perpetuated misery. My youth pastor had told us that Christians couldn't kill themselves because God would never let us. Well, one afternoon in particular, I held that razor blade to my inner wrist lying in bed and tried for half an hour to push it into the thin tissue there and found that due to what my youth pastor had said, due to my own survival instinct overriding my adolescent misery, or due to God, I couldn't. Over and over, I would exert pressure with my right hand and it felt like there was literally a pane of glass between my left wrist and the razor blade. It was really odd. I didn't want to be dead or anything. I just wanted everything to stop. I wanted out of the obligation to live out the hours of each coming day. Nothing worked. I didn't work. Nothing anyone said worked or made any sense. Life and living made no sense at all. God, as depicted in Bible doctrine and stories, made sense to me, but nothing that went on at church convinced me that church had anything genuine to do with God, nor provided any connection to him, 
I wasn't already achieving, having late-night chats while walking down dark farm roads under the stars with him. Years later, I tried recording the song in the studio. I tried to make the song troubling, using wind sounds. Getting my sister to do horror movie screams. Slowing the horror movie screams down so they sounded kind of like wolves. Getting Dave, my roommate who did impressions, to imitate Alexander Scorby's KJV Bible audiobook narrative voice. Lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you. Getting Bill, my musician roommate, to double the chorus vocal to add interest to all the me singing that was going on. Blood runs off my wrist to the ground. And getting a local guitarist named Chris Lochner, who could do Spanish style guitar to play fancy stuff on it with me. A decade later, I got a high school teacher I worked with named Jay to do further chorus vocals. Blood runs off my wrist to the ground. And lead guitar for me as well. I broke out the dusty old high school trumpet and played a very muffled part. I borrowed a pair of kunga drums from the high school music room and tried to play them. This isn't the song I used a steel razor blade as a guitar pick on, resulting in this. That's another one from another album. This one sounded like this. Lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble. Down co-mingled 
Sick 